You're listening to the Casual Swinger Podcast. As your host, we need to warn you that the material you're about to hear may be sexual or explicit in nature. This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Now, we don't expect you to act like adults. What's the fun in that? We're a married couple living in Florida with over 13 years of experience in the lifestyle, and we take almost nothing seriously. Casual Swinger is a variety show, meaning we'll cover everything from music to events, travel, and even the occasional hilarious screw-up. Our show is about entertainment. We're not licensed professionals. Not anything. And our stories, commentary, and guidance should not be confused with the opinions of a licensed professional. Now that you know, let's take those pants off and get comfy. Oh, and hello there again, everybody, both of you crazy, loyal, dedicated listeners out there. <laughs> They're so nice. My name's Mickey, and this is the Casual Swinger Podcast. And hi, I'm Mallory. I'm here to play along. I like when you play. Me too. It's fun. <laughs> You're dirty. I can be. Uh, if you want me to be. Get on that shit. Mm. No, literally. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is the breast episode ever. It's the breast episode we've ever done. Yeah, and it. It's going to be a great episode. All about them titties. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Honkers. Knock- hooters. Mm-hmm. Fun bags. New hoots. Hootis. Oh, yeah. Dude, I looked for a picture of owls to put in like the episode a set, art. a set of two? Yeah, just like two owls standing next to each other because <laughs> you keep going, new hoots, new hoots, new hoots, hoots. And I'm just going to have a couple of owls going, what? God damn it. It's. I think it's the funnest word. Funnest? Is that a word? Is that a word? Um, it's a fun word to use to describe my boobs. I love hoots. I'm so glad you do words. The I don't funnest. Do <laughs> I don't think funnest is a word, is no, it? It's okay. Really not. Whoopsie. <laughs> All right, though. That's right. It is a really fun word. I love hooters. I love yeah. titties. I love fun bags. I have been a fan since I was a baby. Me too. Yeah. What are the chances? So much we have in common. So, so whose were the first titties you ever played with? Whose were the first titties? I mean, like for like sexual fun? Uh-huh. Um... I'm not giving their name, but I was definitely in high school. I like thought a, you were going to say yours. <laughs> yeah. Well, aside from mine, like, of course, I did self-exploration, expo- but yeah, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it like the whole, like, general, like, brush up against and rub thing, or do you, like, grab the nipples and twist? It was actually very awkward, because we were standing there shirtless, and, like, <laughs> it just like, oh, like, look, they're kind of like mine, but <laughs> reach out and, like, just place a hand on it and let it sit, and, like, mm, I don't think we're supposed put to do it like that. Put a hand on it, see how it feels? Yeah. It was, it was kind of funny. We All got right. the hang of it quickly, though. Like, we figured the shit out. It was just nerve-wracking. Well, we talked about your, your Mallory, that'd be you. Me? Your breast augmentation back in the episode we did called Thanks for the Memories. But we had such a great experience with the doctor, we thought we'd have him back on and talk about some of the finer points of being a renowned plastic surgeon and uh, maybe throw in, like, why Michael Jackson's oh fucking nose fell off. I, the fact that he knew that made me love him even more. Which oh my God, is incredible. Yeah. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. We even got a little competition going on uh, for this episode. So if you go to his website, um, we'll tell you in the segment and in the show notes here, I believe it's drdavidplank.com, and figure out which new hoots belong to me, moi, Mallory. The first person to guess correctly wins either an ArcWave Ion for the guys or a Weavite Nova 2 for the girls. And you can choose to get one for your significant other, special human, whatever. Um, but those giving away one. Just one. Other. Just one. Yeah. It has to be the first person. And this could be through email, social media. So best of luck to everyone guessing which ones are my hoots. I feel like this is a softball, right? I looked because he only put a few sets up there because he wanted people to have a shot at winning this I thing. know. And it's like, Guys, you have like a 20% chance of getting it right, right out of the gate. Yeah, so. so best of luck. Yeah. 
And I hope everybody likes all your tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm throwing, I'm fucking with you guys now. You're like, wait, what? That's uh, going to so be funny. awesome. It's going to be fun, but this is the best episode ever. We're going to get back to you talking about titties here in a few, but before we do that, we got to talk about what's new. After all, this is the intro. This is where we talk about fun shit we're doing and I don't know. Yeah, we have a, a lot going on. It's going to be a, a sexy, fun summer. Lots of travel in store for us. But uh, No, you had slutty as fuck summer last year and nothing happened. That's not true. That's why I'm not seeing anything. Oh, okay. I'm not jinxing it. Okay. All right. You with me? All right, I'm with you. So, yeah, it's going to be a packed summer. Um, something that's new that's going on that I'd love to talk about is a casual cocktail event that we have coming up. Um, I'm really excited about that. Me too. I think it's going to be really awesome. This is a, a virtual event done at home. However, uh, we're bringing a very entertaining bartender. Uh, the event is June 16th, 2022. This is going to be on a Thirsty Thursday. And we're going to teach you guys how to make three amazing cocktails that are whiskey-based. The only thing that doesn't come in the kit is alcohol, but you'll have everything you need to make three drinks for two people. Yeah, and if for some reason you don't like whiskey, you can still do this. You can still come hang out with us, and yes. you can still make the drinks with other spirits. There's actually, Correct. we're going to give you optional spirits, two or three different spirits you can use if you don't like whiskey. And I believe there's a mocktail option, but I'll yes. double check on that. Yeah, so we're, we're doing this for fun. We have an amazing, what I like to call, uh, you know, a barmedian. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, he's an improv uh, comedian. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of amazing. So, and it's a pajama party. So, come dressed in PJs or lingerie and enter to win some more free toys. I know from Casual Toys. Yeah, this is going to be great. I would thank Casual Toys, but that'd be a little self-serving since we're thanking Doctor. ourselves. Doctor, Doctor, mm -hmm. Doctor. Yeah, I got you. Got it. Got it. Yeah, but you know, we're going to party for a couple of hours. We're going to laugh, laugh our asses off. Um, and you know, in this kit, they get the casual cocktail cup. Yeah. Those, so I had some Chinese kids make us these cups. They're absolutely awesome. They do a really good job. They're really professional cup makers. So I got those, they came overseas. It took us like a month and a half to get them, which is why it took us a while to get these things off, but they're awesome. They're like Yeti cups. So they're yes. really, really cool. They're the short tumblers insulated, um, really well done black mat. They did a great job on them. They're, they're fucking fantastic. I'll use them again for sure. A hundred percent. So uh, anyone interested in attending the event, uh, you can go to uh, thecasualcocktail.com for details and to purchase your tickets. That's right. Those tickets are $99. We're not making squat on that, guys. If it sounds like a lot, bar medians aren't cheap, and neither is all the stuff that comes in the boxes. So we're going to get all that stuff out to you. We're not making shit on this. What we're doing it for is to have a good time and hang out with you guys on a Thursday because people keep asking us, hey, when's your next event? When's the next time you're going to do a thing? And honestly, with the new job and the, the grand spawn, all the stuff going on, we just haven't been able to book something in person. So we thought we'd get something on the books that you can do from the comfort of your own home. We'll ship you all the shit to do it with, except for the booze, like Mallory said. So make sure that you go out and pick up a bottle of whatever your favorites. And by the way, today... We're going to do another Whiskey of the Month. So if you don't know what to put in these drinks and what to buy, stay tuned, folks, for the end of the episode. We'll tell you all about May's Whiskey of the Month. I know. I'm super excited for that. And I promise I am definitely going to be wearing uh, my PJs slash lingerie for this event. Oh, so. Whatever. You're going to take the hoots out for a walk. I might. I might. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But hey, we also did something this uh, We haven't done this in years. We booked this, what, last week? Yeah, you booked Nin, like out of nowhere. We're, so we're going to Naughty and Nolens. That's right. Going to Naughty and Nolans going to be crazy fun. I think really what inspired me to book Naughty and Nolans this time is we were with Paige and Penn last episode yeah. in New in uh, Tennessee. We were with Jay and Angie, and we're like, we're around all our friends, and we're so happy when we're around our friends, and they're all going to be at Nin. 
Uh, we have a bunch of other friends, obviously, that are going to be there. So we're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're booking it. So we did. So FOMO got the best of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Or just, like, no. I just got harassed by our friends enough until I said yes. Because, like, two or more to Tango, who we were just on their show. Yeah, they're going. Kate's going. Kate's going to be there. And there's a, and there's a bunch, bunch of people we haven't seen in a long time that are going to be there as well. So... I'm super excited. Thank you so much for doing that. I can't wait to to go party and Nin with you. And you know, anyone else going? Do we have any um, anyone that we know that has a code for Nin that we want to share? Oh yeah, Wanderlust. There Eats you go. Code. There you go. So if anyone's interested in uh, going to Naughty and Nolan's in July um, and meeting us there, you know, feel free to use Kate's code Wanderlust. Yeah, please do. It's gonna be awesome. Hey, what are we doing this week? Like literally. <sighs> Six days from now, what are we doing? Um, packing furiously and hoping I remembered everything for PCAP. <laughs> right? Because we got so <laughs> much shit to take to PCAP. It's crazy. I am so fucking excited, though. I am, like, shaking with excitement. Well, so for PCAP, and we'll give people a little spoiler here. For PCAP, we're doing a session on videoing the moment, like capturing your sexual activities. Mm -hmm. And... I was like, I'm just going to sit down and write down some highlights because, you know, we'll just kind of wing it and talk from the, from the hip and we'll just spend an hour showing these guys some of our favorite positions for photo and video sessions. Well, that and the equipment because, I equipment. mean, we've we've found some gems and some duds That's in true. our experience because we do enjoy filming. But so. what I like to do is give people something they can't get here on the show because they're paying money to go to this thing, right? So I want to give them something yeah. that kind of blows Oh, I get that. I was, stretch I was doing my stretches to make sure I was, like, able to pose. Oh, hell yeah. Like, and hold it. All right, flying lotus or whatever it is you're doing. But no, what I'm really getting at though is I sat down to do these highlights and eleven pages of writing later I'm like, uh, maybe I went too far with this. Yeah. Yeah, you got so, a lot of details in there. So I think we're gonna have a uh, a partner uh to the track that we're doing. Is that what you would you call it? A, a compliment to? A complimentary piece. If yeah. You will. So I think you're gonna have a, a blog piece. It'll be a, a hell of a long blog, yeah. but it'll be fun. But yeah, PCAP is days away. We can't wait for this. If you do find yourself available and you don't have any plans for June 3rd through 6th, come on out to Palm Springs. Use 10%. You get 10% of your room off if you use the code that we have. So we're going to cover 10% of your room mm -hmm. if you use the code LOVETOYS. Yep. Please do. Um, there are rooms available for the code that we could only do up to 10 rooms. So yeah, there's, there's only 10 of those rooms available. So. Yes. So um, we still have some rooms left. So if you have the time and want to come out, I know it's just a week away, but it's doable. So feel free to use that. That's Love Toys. It's going to be redonk. Yeah, podcastapalooza.com. Yeah, see, that, that's I talk cool like that. You guys like that? That's when I bring it. See, we just had a high school graduation. Choice. All of his friends thought I was cool. Yeah. Because I talk like that. Yeah. Snap me later. Yeah. <laughs> they don't talk like that at all. It was your purple hair. Oh. And the fact that you embarrassed the kid, they thought it was uh, a pretty funny. I did plant one on him you in did. front you of all his friends. You gave him a big old wet kiss on the side of his cheek, and I was like, oh, dear God, thank God he doesn't have to come face these guys on Monday. Like, <laughs> that was fun. No, he had a great time. It was awesome. But anyway, we got one more thing coming up. You want to talk about Park City? Yeah, this one's interesting. It's kind of vanilla. I'm not sure what we're going to get into, but I've never been to this part of the country, so I'm excited that we're going to uh, be around Salt Lake, Salt Lake City and the Park City, Utah area um, next month, end of June. Yeah, end of June, which I, you know, I've never really spent much time out there. I've been to Salt Lake once or twice. 
Uh, it's very conservative. I don't expect that we're going to have a lot of listeners in Salt Lake, but maybe we do. Hey, give us a shout if you're you're in the Park City area or Salt Lake area. Uh, we'll be out there for the weekend before a conference. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any Mormon swingers out there. Mormonswingermingle.com. Just maybe, check it out. Maybe, but I'm, I'm excited. It's such a beautiful area. I've, I've only seen it in pictures, so I'm looking forward to exploring and seeing what it has to offer. I think I just discovered a market. Get your jollies. Let's be Polly. Come on. We can do this. Oh, my God. No? No. Don't. Right. No. Hallmark said no thanks. <laughs> Two out of ten don't recommend. But we're going to Park City. We're going to hang out. I'm going out there for a conference. We're going to be out there for a few days ahead of time if you guys want to catch up. Shoot the shit. Find a bar in Park City and drink till 6 p.m. and then go to church. We can do that. Uh, okay. Okay. Mm, no? Maybe not. All right. Not happening. Well, anyway. I tell you what, you guys want to get on with the show and hear from our good friend, Dr. David yes, Plank. I'm so excited. Talk about dem titties. Oh, he's amazing. You know, I hope everyone loves him as much as I do because he changed my life legitimately for the better. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah, you have a spectacular set of hoots. I really love you. Well, guys. and I just feel overall like better about myself. I feel more confident in my skin and naked. That's the big thing. It really did kick off a bit of a renaissance for you. A little like bit, You yeah. work out six days a week now, and you were all, you always look good before, but you were never like this monster in the gym like you are now, and like you're just always active, and you, you look fucking fantastic. <laughs> I so. love you so much. I hope I don't regret you saying that, because people are going to have this expectation that I'm like totally ripped or something, because I spent six days in a gym. No, I just have a horrible metabolism, and I'm trying to do my best here. Well, you're killing it. I'm proud of you. Thank you, baby. Anyway, on with the show. Let's get out of here and come back in a minute with Dr. David Plank, but not before Mallory does the thing. The thing. I guess we have to tell everybody who we are and where we are. So we're Casual Swinger everywhere. That's casualswinger.com if you want to check us out there. You can reach out to us at podcast at casualswinger.com. We are on social media. That is Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to check us out on the dating sites, it's Double Date Nation, SDC, SLS, and Cassidy. Uh-oh, that's all the things. Yeah, that's all she wrote. All right, hang in there, folks. We'll be back in just a hot second with Dr. David Plank. Yeah, let's play with some boobies. We're having some fun on the best breast episode ever. Not best, but breast episode ever. You've been listening to Casual Swinger. You're back with Casual Swinger. I'm your co-host, Mallory. And I'm still Mickey. I'm not that guy this time. I've been that guy yeah. for the last two episodes. So. <laughs> well, welcome back. I missed you very much, so. Um, I'm very excited about our guest today. How about you? Oh, I couldn't be more excited if I tried. We've been trying to book this fucker since you got new tits. <laughs> it's true. I think this is the best personal investment we've ever made in in me. Right? Well, yeah, I don't. I'm... I didn't, couldn't figure out if we were going to call this episode New Hoots, Who Dis, or... <laughs> You know, the breast episode <laughs> ever. basically my running joke for the first six months that I had my boobs. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. But hey, yeah. we've got a special guest on the horn with us right now. He doesn't have a ton of time, so we're going to get past all the pleasantries and introduce the amazing, and I think he's amazing because I love my new toys. The only thing he didn't do that I wish he had was put squeaky toys in him. Negative ghost writer. Oh, come on. It would have been fun. But his name is Dr. Plank. He is an esteemed plastic surgeon here in the Orlando area. Dr. David Plank, how are you today? Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? It really yeah. has. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't when she got them. It was a fast time coming, but I, we're talking about two different things, aren't we? It's a good See? Christmas present. It was. It was, like, it was like having a new girlfriend, which, you know, is less common for, or more common for swingers than it is for maybe other people. Hey, Mickey, say- they're up here. My face is up here. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's not a bad life. I'm pretty happy with the results here, and especially, you know, the symptoms that come along with it, especially the good ones, like you said. Oh, yeah. it's It's yeah. been an absolute blast, but... So this is the breast episode ever. We're going to talk a little bit about you, but we really want to talk about your approach. Like we said in the lead in, one of our favorite things about working with you was frankly, you're, you were human yes. and humanity in the medical profession is fucking hard to come by anymore. And you really made us feel like you were looking to help and actually serve Mallory's needs, which yes. was a big deal to yeah. us. Yeah. Your differentiator for me was that we were having conversations, which was bi-directional versus a dictation. Um, something that I experienced when doing my research and, and doing visits were, this is what I do, this is how I do it, and take it or leave it. And I found that really cold and not serving everyone's needs. It sounded like factory work. Yeah, very much so. So let's start with the basics, Doc. Sure. What's the name of your practice? What is your specialty? And what are your certifications? Give us the short version of your very extensive resume. Yes. I read all that shit on the wall. Just give us give us the high notes. <laughs> So, uh, again, my name is uh, Dr. David Plank. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon uh, and went through six years of plastic surgery training to do what I do. Uh, learned all the techniques of cosmetic surgery. Uh, my practice is Mid-Florida Dermatology and Plastic Surgery here in Altamont Springs. I do go to other offices, Vito, Claremont. Uh, when you call my office, we can find you a closer uh, office to see me. And, uh, yeah, that's basically what I do. Uh, cosmetic plastic surgery. Awesome. And how, how long have you been doing that? Um, I graduated in two thir- 2013 from University of South Florida, uh, and I haven't left. I just love Florida so much. Uh, so about nine years, coming up on nine years. Uh, and then gra- shortly after I graduated, I did, uh, uh, you have to go through board certification, which takes about a year and a half to do. So I'm board certified in uh, 2015. So, uh, yeah, it's a long, arduous, and very expensive process to become a board-certified plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's dedication and commitment for sure. Yeah. Well, and I would have to think that Florida, California, coastal Texas, those are probably the hot spots for plastic surgery because everyone's got their tits out. That is true. You know, one of the things, I grew up in Ohio, very, very modest uh, state, and uh, I loved Florida because a lot more uh, skin was shown and, uh, you know, you, when you training in plastic surgery in Florida, uh, you have to understand the techniques. You have to understand what people want and how they want to look in a bikini or even, uh, naked. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I love Florida. I love the, uh, the temperature definitely temperatures rise, clothes fall off as you, <laughs> as you probably know in these coastal regions, California for sure. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in Ohio, a lot of sweaters, so you don't get to see a whole lot of skin. So it's yeah. kind of like a surprise if you're hanging out with some people. Yeah, sweater puppies aren't half as much fun when they're covered with a sweater. <laughs> That's but, right. So I've been a fan of boobs since I was a baby, personally. It's just been a thing, and I think most guys are probably wired that way. But what made you choose this field of medicine, and why in the hell? I mean, were you, like, fascinated with Play-Doh, Legos? What was your deal, man? <laughs> Yeah, well, my, my dad was a mechanical engineer, so I was always told to, uh, you know, hand him tools, things like that, fix things, and then kind of an engineering mindset. Uh, so fixing things make things better uh, than the original. Uh, 
I originally wanted to go into cardiology, but when I got to med school, I found uh, plastic surgery was very diverse. And uh, and then usually the plastic surgeons I hung out with were more fun than other than other doctors. I found um, certain specialties attract certain personalities, but some of the plastic surgeons are more fun. And and the opportunities to help somebody individually on an immediate basis. That's what was the sexy part about uh, becoming a plastic surgeon is that uh, you do a facelift, boom, uh, huge improvement, breast implants, breast augmentation, and immediate improvement right away. And you can see the results right away and the patient's extremely happy with the results. So that was the, the main reason uh, for going into plastic surgery uh, for sure for me. I just, I love it every day. Every day is different. And I think uh, most people that love their job uh, every day is different. So the challenge of not knowing what's going to come through your door every day in the clinic or what kind of surgery you have to do is, is the most attractive part of being a plastic surgeon. Yeah. So I, I just got to imagine what a proctologist with a personality would be like. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's probably unlikely, but when it happens, like you're looking at my butthole, let's go ahead and have a, would a you fun conversation. expect them to be an asshole? Is that what you're saying? Well, they should be. Proctologists <laughs> should be assholes. That oh makes God. perfect sense. You're so weird. Yeah, there's like that old Seinfeld episode, right? Ass Man. That was the that that was the best episode ever. <laughs> I have to go back and look at it. Seinfeld for when it, and its heyday was way too smart for me. I wasn't quite there yet to to catch all the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love that that you um you chose a profession that gives you you know a certain level of gratification and and compassion for people and. I, I absolutely love that. Um, something that we didn't touch on, uh, just to talk about you just a little bit more, is you work with uh, the local university, uh, UCF, University of Central Florida. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? And Because, I mean, I've shown a few of your residents my boobs already. So I think like 20 yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of them keep coming back. They keep forgetting what they look like, that's for sure. Um, the Yeah, so I'm the uh, director of plastic surgery there. I started as a assistant professor there when I was originally working at the VA uh, down in uh, Lake Nona and then uh, became an assistant professor and then slowly kind of evolved and uh, I love teaching so I have the medical students come and rotate uh, with me uh, and the residents from uh, other uh, hospitals come and rotate with me to uh, learn a little bit more about plastic surgery so uh, that's my involvement with the university um, they uh, invite me to give talks you know I'm in charge of the medical students that are interested in plastic surgery uh, from medical school to residency, so they come and seek advice, and I write uh, recommendations for them on a national level. So, so far, uh, I've been fairly lucky with these uh, medical students who are so smart these days. Um, I've had, uh, this past year, I had two medical students that went on into plastic surgery residency, which is the, the, the most difficult uh, residency to get into per uh, so the number of residents that have medical students that apply, uh, the percent of acceptance is very low. So I'm very proud that these medical students are able to uh, come to my office. I'm able to help them and kind of springboard them into a life of a uh, great career in plastic surgery. Yeah, I will say every every one of them that I that I ran into in your office uh, were incredible. Um, you know, even telling our story or, or catching on our stories, because we love to shoot the shit with you when we, we came in for the appointments. And I, I was a little concerned that we'd rock them back in their heels or shock them a little bit. And everyone just kind of rolled with it, too. And you can see, like, them digesting. And I could tell when they left the room which ones had questions for you as a follow-up, too. Like, probably more yeah. medical. Or maybe it was, hey, these freaking weirdos that <laughs> were just sitting there. What, what's <laughs> <Yeah>. up with them? <laughs> I love to teach medical students uh, real-life experience that they're not going to find in a textbook. Um, 
So there's certain things they, they teach them, uh, you know, proper care for patients. But I think with plastic surgery, it's such laterality uh, to it because you're, you're dealing with, uh, you know, it's very intimate with a lot of patients, you know, breast augmentation, facelift, things like that. Uh, so you have to, you break the ice with the patients. And uh, it's nice for medical students to see physicians uh, have an approach that I do. Uh, very open-minded, very uh, loose with the patients, and uh, it makes the patients more comfortable uh, because I've had a lot of crazy jobs in the past, and I've learned how to talk to all kinds of people. So I think that experience in my past has helped me currently in, in, uh, as a plastic surgeon to kind of roll with it. Uh, no matter who walks through the door, I can find a, a way to uh, crack a smile on somebody's face with, uh, with uh, just a conversation for sure. But I, I yeah, the medical students for sure uh, – learn a lot just from the non-textbook reality as to what it is to be a doctor. Did you tell these guys before we got there, all right, beware, these guys are crazy swingers <laughs> and they're really out there and her tits are probably going to be out in the lobby. And <laughs> No, I, I like to shock them uh, because uh, I, I'll say something <laughs> crazy uh, and then I like to look at their face to see what they have to say, you know, just by their facial expression for sure. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, most, uh, most of them tried to be very, very professional, and I, I love that. Like that, it, it, it made me feel at ease, but it was also a little funny, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I do that on purpose as well, uh, just to shock and awe, because, uh, yeah, because, you know, I don't really grade them. You know, I have no control over their lives. They're just here to learn, and so... Uh, being off the wall is a, certainly an educational experience for them. So uh, they try to remain within the uh, the guides, you know, like within the the their uh, stay in their lane based on how they're how they're guided <laughs> at their uh, institution at the hospital, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think they're and then the second time they come in, they're actually um, the more times they visit, they're more relaxed for sure. They open up a little bit more and they tell me more stories on their end. Then they get a little bit more open minded about. Uh, certain questions about certain things, what I do on certain patients and things like that. So they, they certainly open up more after actually patients like you guys, since you're so fun, they kind of loosen up a little bit more. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, uh, speaking of showing people my boobs, I think we're going to play a little game, aren't we? Oh, I, I like playing games with your boobs. Yeah. Well, I do Bongos, too. Bongos, burying my face. Motorboat, yeah. <laughs> Motorboat's probably your favorite. Motorboat. So I think what we're going to do uh, for our listeners out there is uh, Dr. Plank just upgraded his website. And I have my before and after pictures on there, to my understanding. So if you can identify my before and after pictures, I think we're going to give away what, Mickey? Well, uh, I, th I think what we decided we were going to give away was, I think, either an arc wave or a womanizer. Okay, depending on who it is. Yeah, if it's yeah. a guy or a girl you that get gets your, your titties, yep. then we'll give away a womanizer <laughs> Or we'll do the new Joy from ArcWave, which is a masturbator with eight different size settings. Ooh, fancy. Just in time for Father's Day, too. That's right. <laughs> if you're a father and don't want to be one again, masturbate more. So how long How long do they have to guess? Uh, have we'll go through the end of the month. Okay, so May 31st is your last opportunity to guess. Yeah. 
Well, actually, and I tell you what, we'll do the end of June. Okay. If nobody guesses by the end of June, we'll just guess that no one can figure out. Okay, so that's June 30th. I had to sing the song in my head. 30 Days has a very April June. This episode's not going to come out for another two weeks. That's true. That's true. So June 30th, last day to uh, guess them titties. Guess them titties. I'm thinking we'll probably get some in the first 10 days. We usually get it by 6 a.m. the day after it comes out. (laughs) But yeah, so Dr. Plank, what is your website so people can go there and look at before and after pictures pictures to take their guess? Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's uh, drdavidplank.com. It's drdavidplank.com. Easy peasy. And we'll one put the, word. Yeah. All right. We'll put that in the show notes as well and on Twitter when we launch the episode for everyone to play along. Absolutely. So, Mallory, I think this is probably a good time for you to talk about your journey with Dr. Plank and kind of what brought us to Dr. Plank. And I know we talked about a little bit this a little bit in our last episode about your journey, Mm -hmm. but just give people maybe a short version of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll give a little summary. So I always liked my boobs. Um, You know, I grew them myself from scratch and I was very accustomed to having them. But I I always felt like there was room for improvement. And this is a, a... journey I went on that lasted about 10 years, right? When I, I, I made the decision to to go get, you know, additional consults. I had gotten consults maybe like six or seven years prior. It just the timing wasn't right. The doctors weren't right. My men- mental state wasn't right. And I felt like this was the time. And I went into it with a scout mentality going, you know, I have an idea of what I would like to happen and what my results I, I would like to be. And if that's not achievable, I'm I'm absolutely fine not doing this but I, I want to, if it's possible. And in my journey, looking for the right doctor, seeing if these results were reasonable, I did stumble across, you know, a few obstacles and additional, you know, questions that I had, because it seemed like everyone that I had talked to, to a certain degree, had a very cookie cutter methodology, like a one size fits all. And at that particular point, I went, you know what, this isn't for me. You know, I, I feel like this should be a very personalized journey. And I look around and I see naked women a lot. You know, we're swingers. We go on naked vacations. We're in naked resorts and naked hotels. And women are so different, so versatile. How is this a one size fits all? And turns out it's not. And after meeting you know, Dr. Plank, um, he really opened our eyes into the possibility of, yes, I, I believe I can achieve your goal and here's how. And we had an it's the first conversation I ever had about it. And it's so impactful how much that meant to me in my journey. Even if I made the decision not to do it, I, I, I'll never forget that conversation. Yeah, it was really weird, right? Because I remember we went to see three or four doctors and it was a lot like the Shady Hills booby farm, right? <laughs> like they all, everyone was the same. And they're like, this is exactly how we do it. All titties come out exactly the same, whether you're big, tall, fat, small, skinny, doesn't matter. Your yeah. tits are going to look just like I mean, this. There were only slight differences, maybe the um, incision points. Right. Yeah. And it, so that's yeah. definitely a fact. And then there was the machine that Dr. Plank used to show us what you were going to Yes. Like. And he's the only one. I think we saw a total of six or seven doctors. Yeah. He was the only one that had that kind of technology. Yeah. They so gave Dr. Plank, me a visual. what is that machine? Uh, the machine that uh, Mallory's talking about is uh, the Vectra. And it's interesting uh, technology. It, has, uh, it takes a photo of, of your body or face. But in Mallory's case, we, we chose, uh, we took photos of her breast and it has uh, six cameras that triangulate on the, the breast and it can reconstruct in 3D form uh, the individual's breast. And then uh, with the software system, you can add implants and you can see what you look like um, after surgery in a simulated form. So you can do a side-by-side uh, before the surgery 
and then uh, in a basically augmented reality, so to speak, uh, of what your breast would look like after surgery. And you can vary the size of the implants. Uh, so you can have an exact image of what you're going to look like after surgery. And it's uh, been very valuable in my practice because, you know, you look on before and after photos, an individual see other people's breasts and everybody's breasts are different. Uh, with this vector, it's very individualized. So you can see what you're going to look like after surgery. And, uh, and uh, it, it certainly adds a lot of value and makes people more comfortable uh, going into surgery because they have a mental image. They take photos of themselves. They take it home to their partner and they look at it and they come back and make a, a, a proper and well-informed decision. Decision. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I felt much more confident in my decision after uh, we did the Vectra because what I was doing and I was looking at before and after pictures trying to see, well, do my boobs look like hers and do I, could they look like the after picture? So I'm trying to align myself. Do I look like the before and will it look like the after and what are the different methodologies? And it's so hard because, you know, that person could be, you know, 4'11 and I'm 5'5". Five five, so no, that could impact the size, shape, fill, uh, method. I mean, so many other factors, and I just got so overwhelmed. And the vector kind of quieted all the mental chatter and gave me something real and tangible to look at. So well, that was super I beneficial. Think so too. And I think the other thing that happened with Dr. Plank is your fear level was was really allayed by just a number one the way he is. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing was, you know, what you were trying to accomplish was what he was addressing. Where the other doctors said this is the only way to do it to avoid the dreaded capsular contracture, right? Yeah. And if you do it any other way, you have a 900% chance of having capsular contracture. It was like some stupid number. It wasn't 900%. And everyone's, really everyone's percentage was different. Like yeah. no one agreed <laughs> on yeah. what the risk rate actually but, is. I don't know if you know this or not, but 88% of statistics are made up. Say what? Including <laughs> that one. Uh, so now, Doc, I, I mean, that's kind of brings us to another conversation here. So Mallory's breast augmentation was, was over the muscle subglandular. Uh, which was kind of right. what she wanted because she was just trying to replace breast tissue that, you know, was there and now it's not. So she just wanted to fill them back up, right? Put air back in the Yeah, I had to have a, a natural composition to them. Too. And so it made sense to us logically that this would be a good idea. Yet everybody else kept saying, no, it's got to go under the muscle. I'm like, then what happens to the fun bag that's over the muscle? Because it's not filling back up. And no one could really answer us. You had a different approach. Uh, and I, you have taken over the practice for a gentleman by the name of Dr. Baker, who did a friend of ours breasts and they're fantastic as well. So we're like, this seems like the place to go. This seems like the way to go. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like how many m women qualify for subglandular installation or augmentation? And I mean, can they all expect a result like Mallory got? Uh, Yes, uh, I think most women do qualify for subglandular replacement for breast implants. Um, it depends on how much residual breast tissue they have. Uh, so there's a test, uh, it's called the pinch test. It's the upper pole, it's above the nipple. That area above the nipple is called the upper pole of the breast. And you pinch and there's a, a, a significant amount of tissue there, two centimeters or more, then you qualify for subglandular uh, implant placement. Uh, anything lower than that, you're looking at uh, uh, two centimeters or less, then that individual would probably need a submuscular implant placement, which you're probably talking about before, uh, which you alluded to when uh, you're talking about other surgeons do one particular way. Uh, so, that's, so that's the two methods uh, for breast implant 
placement above the muscle or below the muscle. And the muscle is the pectoralis major muscle. And, um, but most women I see qualify for above the muscle. And I particularly like this method that was taught by Dr. Jim Baker, who actually uh, developed the Baker classification of capsular contracture. So he's the godfather of that. He developed that over the years. And so he was my mentor uh, for about 12 years, even during residency. And I was fortunate enough to work with him as a colleague and partner uh, before he retired. So I learned all this technique and I saw all of his patients and they all had longitudinally excellent results. So, uh, and I like that uh, method as well, uh, particularly for most of the women, uh, because it, it feels more natural. Uh, some of the side effects uh, for under the muscle is what they call uh, amu- uh, animation deformity, where the pec major muscle is over the implant. And every time you activate your pec major muscle, uh, it'll uh, move that implant more lateral. And there's plenty of Christmas uh, uh, videos I've seen of women uh, juggling their uh, jugs uh, to uh, Christmas tunes, jingle bells, <laughs> because the implants are under the muscle. So, yeah, that's a, always a treat every year. But those are the two methods. But uh, what I chose on Mallory was above muscle. She qualified. Uh, she had enough breast tissue, uh, even though she did have some atrophy from the years, but uh, she turned out well. Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, I, I mean, you've seen before and after pictures of my wife. My wife is way hotter than me. I think we can both agree on that, right, Doctor Plank? <laughs> I and, mean, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and it. I think they came out sensationally. Yeah, I, I have to admit it's a hard. It's hard for me not to show everyone my boobs, and I I need to remember not to do it in inappropriate places like the grocery store because that's not okay. <laughs> um, so with, with my procedure, you did, um, an incision that was effectively underneath my breast, kind of in the fold. And, you know, in my research, you know, obviously I was looking at, you know, incision types that correlate with implant types. Uh, what is that called and why is that placement important or incision important? Right. So I do the inframemory, uh, fold incision. Uh, one, it's, uh, easier access to get under the uh, breast tissue, uh, to make the pocket to put the implant. And, uh, so that's the first, uh, incision. Uh, the second incision that you could do is the periareolar incision. That's just kind of cutting around the areola of the, uh, the nipple there and, um, making a, uh, a tunnel and then making a pocket through that way. And then the third is transaxillary, uh, where you go from the armpit down. And usually that's uh, significantly more uh, difficult to perform. You need other instrumentation, surgical equipment to do that. And that came and went. Uh, they talked about that as a non-scarless uh, or the, the scarless incision, but um, it's still a scar in the armpit. But I think over the years, that has gone by the wayside. The more prominent ones are the periareolar incision and the sub uh, or the inframemory fold incision. But I choose the inframemory fold incision because it's hidden. So once you make the incision, put the implants in, uh, the breast drop to a more natural totic position, more uh, natural position. So that incision's hidden, uh, whether you're in a bikini or whether you're naked. Yeah, I think the only time they're even visible is when um, I'm laying on my back and I'm. Your legs <laughs> are in the air. Yeah, and even then, like my <laughs> scarring is very, very minimal for being about I don't know nine months post-op. Yeah, it's not bad. Like, it's it's not bad at all, and I'm I'm hypercritical. Like I could find a stretch mark, you know, from outer space on my body if I needed to. Like I could totally do that. So, for me to say it's they're they're 
irrelevant to me. I actually mean it. It's the scarring is almost nothing at this point. I'm I'm very very happy with that. Um, so with the method that you use with me, do you is that something that you consistently use with your clientele, or do you use other methods um, depending on the patient? Um, I exclusively use the inframemory fold incision uh, just because I have uh, good, consistent results. Um, there is uh, some literature out there that shows that particular incision reduces the um, incidence of capsid contracture. The periareolar incision has a little higher incidence of capsid contracture, uh, but uh, the inframemory fold incision, uh, it's a little easier to place uh, the implant because you're, you're already below and underneath the, the breast tissue. And I use a, what they call a Keller funnel. that uh, looks like a little, um, you know. Uh, Was that like a piping they, bag? Yeah, like it's a baking? piping bag. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so I use that. So that's how the incision so small. So you can easily just um, deliver the uh, implant into the, um, the pocket that was developed uh, easily and a touchless uh, method. So it makes it a lot easier to do the implant placement. It, it's trippy. I think you had a short video on your Instagram, maybe, or your Twitter. Yes. Um, it mm-hmm. was so trippy to watch. And I'm glad I watched it after I got my boobs. <laughs> but it's it's super neat, though. So they squirted in, like, cake icing? Kind of, yeah. Hmm. It's it's yeah. fascinating. So I shouldn't feel bad about squeezing those puppies. Yeah, and then. for someone like you who's, like, you get a little woozy about surgery, like, Very. there's really nothing. There's not a lot of blood or anything. It's just, like, all of a sudden there's no boob, and then there's a boob, and it, it literally looks like piping bag. No it's shit. crazy. That's cool. Well, so there's another scar that we've seen fairly commonly, Doc, and that's the anchor scar that's associated with a breast lift. So what yep. would necessitate a woman getting a lift, and what types are there, and in what scenarios would you perform each type of lift? I mean, does, does the li- is the lift uh, predicated on where you put the implant, whether it's above the muscle or below the muscle, that kind of thing? Fill us in. The, uh, so the breast lift, so I always have women when they come in and they ask uh, if they need a reduction or if they need a lift. And I tell them to go home and look in the mirror and just uh, lift their breast up. If they like the volume of their breast, uh, then they just need a lift. If they want um, more fullness to the breast, then I would do a lift plus an implant. So with the anchor incision you're talking about, it depends how much ptosis a breast or a woman's breast has over the years. A lot of women uh, do a lot of breastfeeding. So over the time you have what they call breast atrophy and extra skin, it's like rocks and socks. So uh, if those women uh, want a, uh, a lift and they just like the volume, then I would use an anchor incision because that's the only way to really lift the breast and remove the extra tissue. Uh, and the incision itself is exactly the same uh with the the anchor incision i also i always put the implant on top of the muscle uh for those particular uh patients as well if they wish to have a breast augmentation with the lift so uh kind of the same uh procedure uh, implants on top of the muscle and then uh, uh breast lift for them sometimes you can do a peri areolar uh mastopexy so you make a donut around the areola and kind of cinch it like a purse string but very few women uh, qualify for that. They have to have a, a pretty uh, uh, smaller breast uh, with small, mild amount of uh, ptosis, and then you can uh, kind of cinch it up like a like a purse string. Fascinating. Drawstring titties. You heard it first here on Casual Swinger, folks. <laughs> 
Oh, so why? So in my journey, you know, I mentioned that, um, you know, a lot of plastic surgeons had their, a specific methodology. They go submuscular and most of them wanted to do a lift on me with that said anchor scar. Why do you feel that they choose that exclusive cookie cutter type? Because they seem so damn convinced or at least tried to convince us that it's the it was the only way to go. So what what's the psychology behind that or the method behind that for them? Uh, there are some uh, techniques uh, that has been in, in the literature where it, it do some measurements like the, the nipple to inframemory fold uh, distance. And there's been literature out there say if you're over nine centimeters, then you need a lift. But uh, for me, uh, I always listen to the patient. Uh, a lot of times women don't want the incision uh, at all. They, they don't want the anchor incision all for the lift. But what I can what I do provide for patients is if they um, want uh, augmentation, usually you get a lift anyway with the implants themselves. There's high-profile implants, which I use on you, Mallory, mm -hmm. which provide that lift, and it avoids having to do uh, further incisions to get a mastopexy or breast lift uh, incisions. Um, you know, I think some of those plastic surgeons have a certain technique that they have consistent results and they feel comfortable with those results. And I think that's why you have some of the plastic surgeons that uh, have a certain technique and a certain way to do it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that for them. Uh, but in my, my practice, I always listen to patients and listen to what, I, uh, what they have to say and what they want to do. Uh, certainly you could do the implants and then I always tell patients down the road, if you want to lift, we can do the lift. But uh, I would say 99% of the patients, I convince them just to do the implants. Uh, they're happy and they don't want to lift. Yeah. I, so, that, uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that's kind of where I was because again, we're, we're naked a lot. So the scarring was an important factor for me and the um, opportunity for, you know, maybe a, a reduction in sensitivity, which was a fear I have, ira irrational or not that with the lift getting so close to that, that nerve bundle underneath my nipple, I love them. I love how, you know, their sensitivity levels. I didn't want to ruin that either. And I'd rather, you know, if that was something that was a have to have in order to achieve the results I wanted, again, I was just, I was willing to forego it. Um, but you gave me the opportunity to go, hey, we can do A, B, and C and down the road. If that changes, then you can do that as an option later, if that's what you choose to do. But I think we can get there through this. And I mean... It, I, I almost had to pinch myself. I'm like, is this real? Yeah, right. I, I might actually get what I want out of this. This is awesome. <laughs> well, at that point, I think we were actually leaning toward bailing on the idea yeah. because you said, if I can't have what I want, I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it seemed like, I mean, some of these doctors, uh, I wouldn't recommend them to mow my lawn. And I think, you know, we came out of this uh, feeling so positively about you, Dr. Plank, that it was like, finally, we found somebody that gets it, that listens and says either that's a good idea or that's a bad idea and not that's a bad idea. End of discussion. We're not talking about it anymore. By the way, I'm done here. Have a nice day. Thanks for coming in give me my hundred bucks. Right. And that was not awesome, but there are complications. It's not all sunshine and rainbows here. And I know we're talking about how great Mallory's fun bags are. You know, that's fantastic. I love that you have this catalog of colossal coconuts on your website. That's so cool. But at the end of the day, what are the complications that can arise from this? And are any of them severe? Who would be at risk? Who's a person that you'd look at them and go, I am not touching them teddies? Uh, some of the, the patients uh, that I, I screen, basically, uh, it has to do with comorbidities. 
You know, I, every patient gets a uh, what they call a Caprini score, and it looks like the it looks at basically the the uh, health of the patient, how stable they are for surgery. So if they reach a certain number in this Caprini score, they're not candidates for surgery. I mean, this is uh, you know cosmetic surgery is elective surgery. Uh, it's not life threatening. So um, I use that as a measure to protect the patient. Uh, for potential uh, complications um, down the road. But uh, aside from that, some of the complications from healthy patients that undergo breast augmentation is infection, uh, hematoma, which is bleeding in the breast pocket. Uh, capsule contracture uh, is another issue uh, down the road. But those are the three major ones. Uh, I think hematoma is probably, probably the most uh problematic because after about two weeks, women feel good. They look good and things happen at 2 a.m. that causes bleeding. So, <laughs> Gee, uh, I wonder what that could be. Yeah. So uh, those are the major issues, but typically uh, post-operative care for these patients, uh, I give them antibiotics, I give them steroids, I give them uh, Singulair for all for to mitigate any of those complications. And I follow patients fairly closely. I remember, I don't know, I tell you what, two or three times within the first week after surgery. Yep. Uh, just to mitigate any of those problems, because most of the problems happen with about two weeks of, of surgery. So having the patients um, see me frequently, and also you guys had uh, access to me 24 hours a day uh, with my cell phone. So I think that puts a lot of ease uh, with patients and then mitigates a lot of problems as well. So if you catch it early, you can take care of it early. Yeah, that was something I was actually going to bring up that I, I don't remember the last time that a doctor said, this is my personal cell phone. Use it anytime, day or night that I wasn't friends with, that we hadn't, you know, kicked off a, a friendship with. And I mean, we get there with, with a lot of the medical professionals we work with, partially because of the show, because when we have good experiences, we do bring them on and talk about it. Dr. Phillips is a good example. Uh, Andrea Lillavoy is another good example. So we've got all these, you know, great doctors we're friends with. But you did that. You didn't know us from Adam. I was like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, and that definitely put my mind at ease because, I mean, it is an elective surgery. You know, I have a nursing background. So, you know, I'm running the numbers in my head. I'm like, you know, this this does come with, you know, risks involved. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things that could potentially happen after this. And, and what's my investment? And is that risk-reward factor going to be, you know, for me? And having access and the proactivity post-op was really, really important. And, yeah, I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right, maybe let's switch gears for a minute and talk about swingers in particular, if that's okay. Um, as, you know, a couple in ethical, ethical non-monogamous relationship, we tend to kind of be naked a lot. You know, we go to parties, we're at clubs, we're with friends, we go to the beach. You know, not every procedure or method works for everyone, especially if their goal is to look good naked, like my, like which my goal was, right? Um, are there differences with how you perform certain procedures, um, cosmetically in general, when someone wants to look good in their clothes versus looking good naked, does that come up often in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I try to, um, every surgery that I do, uh, I try to mitigate or minimize the, the scars that are present based on how they look naked. Because when I see them uh, postoperatively or when they come to me for an evaluation, they uh, just want to look better uh, naked. You know, and then if you look good naked, you're going to look good in your clothes as well. It's going to kind of follow that lead. So certainly uh, scar, uh, hiding the scars under the intramemory fold for breast augmentation, tummy tucks. You know, I mitigate that by minimizing the amount of uh, scarring uh, my incisions. And if there's anything down the road that the patient is unhappy about with uh, some of the incisions that I made, 
I have lasers in the office that I can easily smudge out like a little Photoshop finger. Remember that little Photoshop thing is going to smudge out those, uh, those lines. But, uh, I have patients wait about three months, uh, let them heal, uh, by themselves. And if, uh, there's a certain concern area, I can just easily laser and just kind of make the, uh, the incision, uh, disappear. That's crazy. So awesome. We have come so far in the medical profession. It's just nuts. So we have a friend down in South Florida. Uh, she was a good-looking woman prior to plastic surgery, but she went through a divorce, sold her house, got a little money, and decided to get a mommy makeover. And now she's an exotic dancer in Tampa, <laughs> so she changed her life completely. And she would, she just, she is like the poster girl for mommy makeover. Tell us what a mommy makeover is, what it, how common it is, who's a good candidate for it, and what can they expect? What sort of things go into that package of services? So uh, what's considered the uh, mommy makeover is a uh, breast augmentation with or without a breast lift and a tummy tuck. So you're looking at uh, postpartum women that usually have a couple of children. And, uh, you know, having children does take a toll on the, on the woman's body. So they get the breast atrophy. Sometimes they have uh, extra skin, not necessarily fat, but extra skin from the child. Uh, and so they just want to kind of remove the extra skin from the tummy and improve, enhance their breast. So that's that's the combo uh, for the mommy makeover: breast lift with uh, or breast augmentation with breast lift, or and uh, and, and tummy tuck. And uh, typically, these are women that have already had children. They don't need more children. And, um, you know, the kids are a little bit older. Uh, I would say three or four or five years old. And they're going off to, you know, kindergarten or school. So they don't really have to stay at home with them or they have more time on their hands. So they want to uh, take time for themselves, really. Uh, so they come in and, um, and then see the consult. And I tell them, uh, you know, what the whole process takes. And typically for these, these individuals that require the mommy makeover, uh, breast augmentation uh, with or without lift, and then uh, tummy tuck or abdominoplasty, as we call it, with liposuction. Uh, typically, those patients that do those combination cases, I have them stay in the hospital uh, for safety reasons, have an ICU nurse. They have a VIP section at the hospital that they have VIP care uh, that uh, takes care of them, make sure the pain's under control. Uh, but typically, there are um, a lot of women that are, are mainly healthy. They want to stay healthy. Uh, they're fit, but there's extra skin that they just can't get rid of. And that's that's the classic uh, patient that usually gets the mommy makeover. Yeah, it's something I've heard a lot being, you know, a mom myself, um, as far as like plastic surgery goes and, and people I know that have had those types of procedures. Um, are there any trends in, in what you're seeing in consults and the types of surgeries that people are asking? Like, is there anything changing the field? Is breast aug still one of the most common? Is, is it the most common? What are you seeing? Well, uh, so everybody's heard of the uh, Brazilian butt lift where you take the fat from the belly and then uh, inject it into the uh, buttock area to enhance the buttock area. So uh, for that, they've adapted it to the breast. So they take uh, the fat and uh, inject it in uh, specific areas of the breast to enhance the breast. And it actually has fairly decent results. Uh, sometimes with those individuals with, uh, with uh, breast or um, fat grafting to the breast, uh, typically it may take one or two treatments uh, just because the fat itself gets reabsorbed. About 50% gets reabsorbed over time. Uh, so you may need a little touch-up, but it 
certainly has a nice natural look. Uh, and so that's been uh, kind of an uh, enhanced uh, scene for uh, breast augmentation or breast enhancement, really. Uh, it's safe. It's your own tissue. Uh, the only downside for that is sometimes you may get some uh, fat necrosis, little lumps and bumps, but typically on mammograms for women, uh, the radiologist can determine whether or not it's uh, good or bad. Uh, and if that's a concern, then they would go get a, a, a breast biopsy from a breast surgeon. But that's the, the newer trend, I would say, for breast enhancement uh, using their own fat. It's not very common, though, uh, because uh, most women... Uh, that need breast implants don't have enough fat <laughs> to put in their breasts, really. <laughs> I, so, I was just uh, thinking breast augmentation that. is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And yeah, I, I, I heard of Brazilian butt lifts, you know, personally I'm, I'm doing squats cause I feel like I have enough junk in my trunk. Right. So I think I'm okay there. Is that where all but... these shelf asses are coming from? Like these giant asses that seem to come out of nowhere. I mean, when I was growing it's up trending. in high school, yeah. asses were not three times larger than the person they're on, but now they are. Is that how it's happening? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's very trending right now. Uh, the I, I don't know when it started. Uh, initially, it was for just improving contour. Then um, you're talking about 100, 100, 200 cc's of fat on each side. So a can of Coke is about 355 cc's, so you can put that mentally. So oh, you're okay. putting you know, 300 cc's on each side enhancement. Now, some of these um, patients are getting like 1,000 milliliters, 1,000 cc's. 1,500 cc's on each side. So that's that's your shelf. So <laughs> oh two, liter, two liter soda bottles yeah. on their ass cheeks. Yeah. 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 And, I, you know, for me, I was seeing a lot of younger women getting nose jobs, like as far as trending and when I was researching plastic surgery, at least that's the perception I had. So I was just wondering if that's kind of like what these this influencer generation or the younger generation is considering versus breast aug. Have you, have you been seeing a lot of that as well? Yeah, the social media has... Uh, reshaped how plastic surgeons have to approach patients because as you know filters with social media is, is all out there so what you see on social media when you meet the real person it's completely different so it does distort what goals are uh that patients want uh versus what can actually be achieved um i, I think you've probably seen on instagram where the new trend now is that they'll show one side half of the image or the video will be a filter and the other half would be unfiltered. And it's like two different people, you know? So certainly you have to approach those individuals uh, and patients carefully because you have to understand what their expectations are. Uh, I have people show me what they want to look like afterwards. Uh, and sometimes it's just unachievable because a lot of those photos, those images are filters plus makeup, you know? Uh, you know, makeup artists nowadays can really kind of hide any uh, blemish and things like that. So it's very, you have to be very careful nowadays and also be careful and also protecting the patient from, uh, from themselves sometimes because they, they have uh, some false perceptions based on social media. Well, and I think that's one of the biggest problems facing people today. We did an episode not in the too distant past on just confidence and, you know, one of the things that I brought up is something I've thought about a lot, which is every day we wake up, we look in the mirror and we've got socks on our teeth and our breath is horrible and our hair is messed up and we've got, you know, sleep in our eyes. And then we look on social media and everybody looks like a million dollars. So we always see ourselves at our worst and we see everybody else at their touched up fake best. 
And that gives you a fucked up self-image, right? And it seems like that's contributing to your business in a way, which may not be a bad thing, but uh, is that common? I mean, it, it seems to me that would be the case. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm seeing younger women coming in for uh, rhinoplasties, nose jobs, as you talked about, Mallory, uh, for sure. Uh, they'll show me images of Kim Kardashian, the Kardashian family. And, um, oh, you know, real. I have to... <laughs> right. But I have to, I have to guide them, you know, and I have them look in the mirror, you know, and I point out what can be done, what cannot be done. And again, it goes back to the Vectra. So the, I can use the Vectra again on that 3d imaging and show them what they're going to look like after surgery with almost hundred percent confidence. So they can tell them, please don't look at social media. This is you. This is how God made you. And this is what's achievable. What I can do in my hands. Uh, so it definitely opens her eyes for sure. I, I remember one, one patient that came in, she had a little scar on her lip and I could barely see the scar. And, um, so she was flipping through some photos and I thought it was her cousin, but because she had so many filters on the photos, it was actually her. Uh, so I was looking at this patient sitting in the seat here. Uh, and then I'm looking on her, on her camera on her phone and it was almost two different people literally two different people but because of the filters uh it looked like two different people let me tell you how frustrating that is as a swinger by the way oh yeah meeting meeting people yeah we're meeting people online and their pictures are so touched up that you meet them and you're like where are where's that other couple that were in the picture because (laughs) that's not (laughs) y'all And it, what's fucked up is we still would have went out with them if yeah. they just would have showed us their real pictures. But it gives us like this level of inauthentic. I can't talk now. Inauthenticity. That's okay. I'll is that unf- a word? I'll unfuck it in post, Mallory. It's <laughs> fine. You can leave it. I'm human. It's fine. <laughs> now, so it, over time, and you know, I grew up in the National Enquirer generation. It's all my grandmother read, and it seemed like every other issue was somebody's plastic surgery or someone getting repeated plastic surgery. This celebrity is addicted to plastic surgery. And you get, you know, the Donatella Versace's of the world that look like a plastic shoe, right? And, of course, if for some reason she listens to this episode, I'm going to get sued. Joan and Melissa Rivers. Yeah, Joan and Melissa yeah. Rivers another good example. Yeah. So there, there's all these celebrities that seem to be addicted to plastic surgery. So how many of your patients end up with more than one cosmetic surgery? Does this constant change... You know, like it used to be tits were the thing and now asses are the thing. And now they can put fat from your ass in your tits if you want that. I mean, is social media driving people to come back and get it again and again? Or is it that same addiction to change and self-improvement? Do you see that a lot? I think the uh, the continuous self-improvement has always been there in patients. Uh, but uh, I think social media has added to that. You know, I think uh, when I see patients initially that... Uh, you know, dip their toes in the in the cosmetic world. They'll come in for like Botox or filler, and then you know on one of the two visits on a follow up, they'll ask about their eyelids, okay, and then it goes to their face, or then it goes to their body or their tummy. Uh, but I would say you know in my practice, I would say about fifty percent people do more than one procedure, uh, and then it goes from there. So. Uh, then you have the, the peer pressure too. You know, you have like cousins or sisters or friends that get cosmetic surgery and they like what they have. And so they come in and do that as well. But peer pressure, I think, is, is really, really strong as well. I think that's always been the case all through human history is peer pressure. But, 
Yeah, my patients come back. They definitely have more than one procedure. It starts off small, then they go a little bit bigger. I think it has to do with trust with me. With me. Uh, but then you talk about the patients that go super extreme, uh, like the Versace's and the Joan Rivers, where you know they'll go out and have one surgery, uh, and then they'll have a second, a third, fourth. But I think what happens is the 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 good plastic surgeons, uh, the safe ones, will kind of stop that from happening. You know, they'll probably say, you know, look, this is we've done this and this and this. I don't think I can help you anymore. So then that person goes to another plastic surgeon. So they'll do a lot of doctor shopping. Some of those patients that do that, um, they 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 don't take no for an answer. So they'll go out and find out a doctor that'll actually do that. That's what happened to, um, um, well, Joan Rivers is one. I think Kanye West's uh, mom was like that, I believe, where oh, yeah, uh, she, she doctor shopped and yeah. she found uh, after like eight or eight or nine plastic surgeons, she found one that did it, and uh, and then you know what the result was that from. So. Yeah. Michael Jackson's um, nose fell off. I mean, John Michael Jackson's nose fell off. There's a story behind that one. Is the original plastic surgeon that did his nose? Remember, he was in the Jackson Five, and I think around the Thriller uh, album, I think he might have had his first rhinoplasty. Mm-hmm. But then thereafter, it got worse with time. The original plastic surgeon that did Michael Jackson's uh, rhinoplasty was at a national meeting. And he purposely went out and told everybody, I've only did Michael Jackson's nose once. I haven't touched it since because he was worried that, you know, I don't want anybody looking at that nose now and say that I did it. Yeah, I think I, I'd want that disclaimer out there, too, for sure. Right. Not my nose. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's got to be hard. And I think as a woman, we're fighting aging. And like I've made a decision like I want to age gracefully, but I don't want to age quickly either you know because we have these examples like fucking jennifer aniston who and angelina jolie who both look incredible especially given their ages so vampires i think maybe i maybe so i think you know that for women you know maybe we have this unreasonable expectation so i'm i'm making a conscious effort to not try and go overboard because i'm not gonna lie in the last you know few months i've been looking at you know you know my forehead and like my my neck and my my decolletage and like I, I'm having these ideas and I have to kind of pace myself and go, is this really necessary? Is this what I want? And if I want it now, maybe I should wait, you know, a year or two and see how I feel then, you know, maybe I won't want it then. Maybe it's my mental state right now. You know, now. as a guy, we only have one question. We look down and go, I wish my penis was bigger. I wonder <laughs> if I could make my penis bigger. Like literally, that's the only thing guys do. I mean, we're like belly, feet, ass, whatever. I want a bigger dick. You know why? Because it's double standard. Because you guys are, as long as you're charming, like you guys can get away with so much and you guys get more distinguished as you get older, which I fucking am so jealous of. I can't even tell you. Um, but back to what we were talking about from an ethical perspective, you know, Dr. Blank, what's the line for you as a doctor to say no more? No, I can't do this because of X, Y and Z, um, whether that's frequently or frequency or type of the request or additional surgeries. Like what's that line and how do you have that conversation? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think it has to do with upfront expectations from the patient. Um, meaning that, uh, patient comes in, they have a concern and I tell them what, what to expect and what to, uh, what the outcome can be. Uh, and then, you know, if they have additional concerns, additional, uh, surgeries that they want to do, and then that raises red flag. See, they have like an issue of like body dysmorphia. You know, where people that are, you know, more mature, you know, 60s and 70s are showing me photos 
from their night from when they're 20. That that's a red flag. You know, I, you know, if you do a facelift on an individual or they show them like their beach body from, you know, 1965, that's a concern. So those are certain red flags that you're never going to beat uh, mother nature for sure. And for the number of surgeries, you know, I, I lay that all on the line out in front, you know, what, what do you expect? What's your end game? You know, and I, quite frank with the patients too, you know, mother nature, I'm not going to beat gravity. I'm not going to beat mother nature. Uh, time is always against us. And this is what I can do. So I think it has to do with upfront expectations. Uh, I don't promise uh, more than what I can deliver. And I think that's what uh, patients appreciate about coming to my office is that I'm absolutely frank with them. And they, at that time, they can decide whether or not they want to have surgery with me or another plastic surgeon. But you certainly have to set boundaries with patients, certainly to protect them from themselves, protect them from their thoughts and their mind of what they want to look like uh, at that age. You know, I can't turn, you know, uh, somebody from 65 or 70 into a 20-year-old body. So it has to do with expectations all the way. Okay, so if you were not a cosmetic surgeon, would you be a airborne ranger, a male stripper, a gigolo, porn star? What would your career choice have been if you were not a doctor? I'd probably be an architect. Uh, I think it's just cool to design all that stuff. You, you, you well, kind of did the same in, thing. I know. It kind of goes in line with with what you're doing yeah. now. Yes. You're, you're building things. Building like an engineering mindset. Yeah. 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 Building houses. Building things. Right. Building yeah. Titties. I, yeah. I was going to say, building titties is probably a lot more fun. Be a great name for the business. Just change it from, you know, mid Florida plastic surgery center to building titties. <laughs> yeah. Or that's Maybe like that'd the... be like my uh, September uh, tagline for a promotion or something. Yeah. Like that. That'd be great. <laughs> Building titties since 19. No, I'm just kidding. That's great. <laughs> that's great. So, do you have a favorite surgery that you perform? Like, whether it's the um, the methods while you're in surgery or the outcomes? Like, do you have a, a favorite that you get excited about? I do like the breast augmentations for sure. I think that's my number one. Uh, one, it's uh, a straightforward surgery uh, for me. Uh, I love the results because I know uh, the patient uh, helped me to decide and guide like what volume, what implants they wanted. So it makes it easier actually uh, for me. I know um, in your uh, surgery, Marie, we talked about I'm going to be from this volume to this volume, and you allowed me to have that uh, liberty to choose the final implant volume, which is super helpful. But that makes it so much easier for me as a plastic surgeon to have the going into the surgery knowing that the patient chose the volume, and it's just kind of a mental ease to going into surgery. It's a fun surgery. I know the people in the OR love it because everybody, uh, the patient sits up, and then we all uh, choose the volume. And so it's kind of like a, a pageant, but, uh, the patient doesn't know what's going on, but, uh, <laughs> then, you know, and everybody has their own, uh, say, but, uh, no, that's the fun surgery. And then I think my second one would be a rhinoplasty would be my second favorite surgery, but definitely breast augmentations are my favorite. I love it. I, and I can't blame you. Like if my job could be look at boobs every day, all day, I would absolutely sign up for that job. You need someone in the OR voting on, the implant size, I'm totally there. If that's my only job, you don't want me touching anything. You can set up a panel. Yeah, you can just be behind the glass window and hold up like little key cards. Yeah, These I, are a 10. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I got to say, Doc, that there's something about your demeanor, and I hope that our listeners 
today have seen a little bit of that demeanor from you that really kind of ingratiated trust with us for you. And without that trust, Mallory wouldn't have looked at you and said, do what you think is best. Like it'll be somewhere in this range because I know in her head, she was very worried about having volleyball titties, right? Having these hard bulbous orbs hanging off her chest. But at the same time, as an experienced professional and as a titty architect, you actually knew that, you know, they probably were going to need to be a little bigger than she thought they should be. And so you were able to make that decision because we trusted you. And what came out of it were these two titanic fun bags that I love playing with all the time. And they're awesome. Yeah, I, I love them. They're actually perfect. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, we had that conversation that you chose the route you did because at the end of the day, you're the professional, you knew better, you know, and, and anyone that sets that hard and fast rule, I, I think they're maybe missing the mark a little bit because you want to have the best result possible. And if you had handed me the implant size that I actually have, I probably would have ran out the door at first and be like, these are the only ones you need. Um, but again, we had the conversation around yeah. it and they, they look amazing. I love them so much. Like, I, was it three months post-op? I, I literally was like, I just want to show everyone my naked boobs. Well, yeah, and uh, you did. I mean, there were a lot of pictures flying around, but I think, you know, the, a lot of the other doctors we went to, it was very much like this is, okay, here's your size. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And because, you know, we went to the Monet of Mammaries, then, you know, he was able to just do his work and <laughs> bam. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> there you go. That's your, that's your new name, Dr. Plank. You're the Monet of Mammaries. Better than the I love that Picasso of pecs because Picasso was all abstract and titties on the shoulder and it just would uh, yeah right. that would not be an apt description and please don't do that no 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 definitely no Monet. definitely beautiful not. landscape <laughs> of titties anyway oh, Doctor Plank do us a favor tell us how can patients find you can you do remote consultations what's your website what's your Instagram let's let's point some people at you to have this conversation because I would love for some of our listeners to have the same positive experience that we had. And by the way, folks, we didn't get a dime off of this surgery for doing this. We're doing this for Dr. Plank because we had such a great experience. So uh, just, you know, this is, you know, this is not paid. This is something that we really loved. Doc, tell people how to find you. Uh, Mickey Mallory, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a blast. I, I've been thankful uh, and grateful that uh, you, you chose me as a, as a plastic surgeon to help you uh, improve your life, Mallory. It's been such a great uh, journey. Uh, my, my website is drdavidplank, drdavidplank.com. That's my website. And my Instagram is the same, drdavidplank, uh, or Instagram, at uh, drdavidplank. That's my Instagram. Awesome. And my office number is 407-960-6936. Got it. And you need to go out and get 1-800-DEM-TITTIES because that would be awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, right. Well, uh, this has been an honor, and it's actually been an absolute fantastic experience from day one working with you, Doc. So thank you very much for pretty much everything about how you approach this business. I'm saying that as the guy that gets to play with her titties. I know Mallory has her own opinions, but uh, it's been great. It, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for my titties Thank and this conversation. <laughs> Mallory, yeah. well, let's, uh, let's dip out of here and let the good doctor go on his way because I'm sure he's got something else fun to do today. You want to remind everybody how to find us, and then we'll be back in a hot second with Whiskey of the Month for May. 
So we are Casual Swinger everywhere. That's CasualSwinger.com. You can reach us at podcast at CasualSwinger.com if you'd like to shoot us a message. We are on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, as well as the dating sites if you want to check us out on SLS, STC, Cassidy, or Double Date Nation. And there it is, folks. This has been the best episode ever with Dr. David Plank. We'll be back in a hot second with some of that whiskey you guys know you can't get enough of. You've been listening to Casual Swinger. And we're back with Casual Swinger. My name is still Mickey. And I'm Mallory, and I'm excited. It is time <laughs> for another Whiskey of the Month. I feel like we do these like every other episode. I think we do, but we have a lot of whiskeys that we drink. There's a lot of friggin' whiskey <laughs> in this bar, so we have a lot of whiskey to talk about. Before we get started with Whiskey of the Month, Starry, how do you feel about whiskey? Candy is dandy, but whiskey makes you frisky. Oh, that's right. The Whiskey of the Month for May 2022, the year of our Lord, or whatever you want to call it, is Michter's US1 Rye Whiskey. Yum. This is definitely a staple in our bar. Um, we've been drinking Michter's for quite a few years now, and it turns out to have an incredible story. They really do. And, you know, sometimes even I don't necessarily know how storied some of the whiskeys are mm-hmm. in our bar. Yeah, the, and, fair enough. Yeah, and, and some of them are absolutely crazy. A good example would be Horse Soldier, which was last month's Whiskey of the Month. That was a good one. You know, by the way, I'd never actually watched that movie, 12 Strong. I was on a plane this week and I actually watched it. I was good like, for you. Good I was going to say it was a phenomenal book too. Yeah. I, I usually don't watch movies after I've been through the book just because I don't want to let them ruin it for me. Whatever, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Anyway. So anyway, this month is Michter's US1 Rye Whiskey. So let's start with a little bit of the Michter story. And Mallory and I will kind of trade off a little bit on this because it is a bit of a long story. It- which is to be expected. Yeah, this one's a little long, a little sorted. You know, it, it just shows that the brand had some tenacity and just some fate associated with it to make it to today. Well, this particular whiskey dates back to 1753. Which is pre... Pre-America. Yeah. I mean, it's pre-America. Yeah. I mean, this is a brand that goes was, all the way back. It was a colonial whiskey. It was. Yeah. So originally known as Shanks and later as Bomberger's, the whiskey company, which ultimately became known as Michter's, was founded by John Shank, a Swiss Mennonite farmer in Schaeferstown, Pennsylvania, in 1753. In their earliest days, Shanks produced whiskey from rye grain, a favorite local crop in Pennsylvania Blue Mountain Valleys, where this particular distillery was located. Yeah, according to Pennsylvania historical lore and commemorated by the Lebanon Valley Coin Club in 1978, this particular rye whiskey was so valued that when the Revolutionary War broke out, General uh, George Washington, yeah, I said that right, General George Washington. The guy. The guy. The dollar bill. Uh Uh-huh. Visited the distillery and purchased whiskey to fortify his men as they hunkered down in their camps through the long, brutal winter at Valley Forge. Um, over 200 years later, the Michter's Pennsylvania management would say Michter's was the whiskey that warmed the American Revolution. What a huge piece of information that is. First of <laughs> all, like... Valley Forge is, I mean, that was kind of the turning point in the Revolutionary War. If they could survive the winter, mm-hmm. they could fight. Yeah. What a huge, huge deal that was. And more importantly, General Washington went to this distillery to acquire whiskey 
to help keep his men warm during this brutal winter. Now, of course, what we've come to learn since then is that whiskey doesn't actually warm you up. It just makes you think you are. So they probably <laughs> suffered from a lot of frostbite and a lot of bullshit issues. Probably, but they felt better about it. Yeah, they were much happier. They were at least fucking hammered while they did it. But So in the mid-1800s, Pennsylvania Dutchman Abraham Bomberger purchased the distillery, and it became known for many decades as Bomberger's Whiskey. Yeah, the passage of Prohibition in 1919 did force the distillery, along with other American spirit producers, to shut its doors to the public. Uh, although the distillery did reopen after the repeal of Prohibition, it changed hands many times over the next few decades and frequently occupied a precarious position financially. Uh, during the 1950s, Lou Foreman, one of the distillery's then owners, created the modern Michter's brand name, so it came back or it came to this name by combining portions of his son's names, Michael and Peter. So, so that's the name Michter's is actually in, it's just kind of a slam together of Michael yeah. and Peter. Who'd have thunk? No one would ever know that. But in 1989, with the entire American whiskey industry suffering a prolonged downturn, that's right, in the 80s, nobody wanted whiskey. Victor's then owners declared bankruptcy and abandoned their premises, leaving their Pennsylvania operations in complete disrepair. Victor's name seemingly lost to history. Were it not for a fortuitous connection to two whiskey lovers with an abiding admiration for the old Victor's legacy and quality. So in the 90s, Joseph J. Magliocco and his consultant and mentor Richard, quote-unquote, Dick Newman, teamed up to resurrect Victor's. Magliocco, who entered the wine and spirits industry after attending Yale College and graduating from Harvard Law School, was intimately familiar with Michters through his college days of imbibing, bartending, and selling Michters. That's right. He was a drunk who went to Yale and Harvard. He was a smart drunk. But Newman, he followed up his service in the United States Marine Corps, for which, by the way, he earned a Purple Heart, so there's a bit of a theme to some of these brands that we offer. Or maybe it's just that first responders and soldiers like booze not sure which Uh anyway we'll come back to that some other time his illustrious career in the whiskey business followed his military service eventually running old granddad old crow and old taylor for national distributors before becoming president and ceo of austin nichols austin nichols is the distiller of wild turkey yeah that's fucking cool i didn't know that so Magliocca and Newman began uh, with a simple strategy uh, to honor Michter's legacy by producing the best whiskey possible, cost be damned. After filing for the unused and abandoned Michter's trademark, they made their first major strategic decision to resurrect Michter's in Kentucky in the heart of the modern American whiskey industry to ensure access to the best whiskey talent and resources available. Today, Michter's has three locations in Kentucky, a 78,000-square-foot distillery in the Shively section of Louisville, the architecturally significant Fort Nelson building on Louisville's Museum Row, and over 200 acres of farmland in Springfield, Kentucky. So what makes Michter's special? What's so special about this bottle? Uh, I think the first point is going to be cooperage, right? The the wooden barrel making. That is, yeah, it is literally a cooper makes wooden barrels. That's what a cooper does. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't know that that had a name. Yeah, and How so there, cool. yeah, that's special. So, uh, Mictor specifies wood that has been thoroughly and properly dried, sometimes for as long as 18 to 48 months, in order to enhance this natural properties of the wood and it'll allow, um, I guess, better flavor and it reduces the level of tannin imparted to the whiskey. Because tannin, doesn't it give it that like, bitter, a little bit, harsh taste to it? Yeah, okay. A bit. You know, it's something. We're talking about this, by the way. We got a couple more little pieces here. 
Mictor says, cost be damned. That yeah. means they don't give a shit what it costs, kind of like the whole John Hammond in Jurassic Park, spare no expense, right? Mm-hmm. They make the best whiskey they can make, period. And so a good example of that is the toasting and the charring process. To toast a barrel before charring it helps to make the wood sugars more accessible. These sugars caramelize and concentrate to form the red line in the barrel stave cross sections due to the heat, ultimately adding more flavor and more color to the whiskey as it seeps through the char to the caramel red line. Awesome. You know, another point to make about this one is the low entry proof, which is I found very interesting. Although the, the typical industry entry proof is about 125, Michter's believes that the lower at 103, which is 51.5 um, alcohol by volume, uh, which is historically regarded as the gold standard in Kentucky, allows for concentrated sugars of the toasted and charred wood to dissolve more rapidly rapidly into the distillate as it cycles in and out of the barrel. So even though the, the lower entry proof yields fewer bottles per barrel, uh, Michter's believes that the smooth flavor and richer mouthfeel makes it worth it. Right. And I'll tell you another thing they do, and this is another where the cost be damned, right? Because this hurts them badly. They do something called heat cycling a barrel. This is another way that they make less whiskey, but better whiskey. Right? Interesting. Okay. Well, so what heat cycling is, the more often that whiskey expands and contracts, cycles, if you will, soaking in and then back out of the wood of the barrel, the more flavor it absorbs from the sugars and the caramelized red section of the wood. Heat cycling is an uncommon practice, and I'm going to tell you why in a hot second, but it's used to raise and lower the temperatures in the barrel warehouses to induce extra cycles within a given year. This practice is very costly because heat cycling significantly increases the angel's share evaporation during aging, but in most cases, very much enhances the flavor of the whiskey. If you remember the whiskey of the month from a few months ago, Angel's Envy, it was actually named after the phrase, the angel share. So as whiskey ages, some of it evaporates. The whiskey that evaporates, which is as much as 30% of the barrel in a given aging cycle, is known as the angel share, which means the angels drank your shit. <laughs> it's cool that they do that. Um, and even though it's costly, obviously, but that concentrated, Mictors does have a really great profile to it, which we'll get into in a, in a minute. They do another process that they call chill filtering, which I wasn't too familiar with. So Mictor's Chill filters all of their whiskeys instead of using carbon filtration that can strip out flavor and aroma um, because they want to keep that profile very pure. Moreover, rather than uh, use the one-size-fits-all approach that many distilleries do, they use uh, filtration mediums and technique best suited to each individual whiskey offering because they have a multiple um, offerings in their line. Despite it being time-consuming and costly, this allows them to highlight each expression um, and and um, accent the best qualities of each. Yeah, I think that's just so cool. There's so much that goes into it, into a bottle of Michter's whiskey, and they have a lot of different expressions, right? It's not just US one. There's a bunch of other ones. I think we've got five or six of them in our bar, and they're all very unique. They're all very unique, and they're one of the few brands that I can point at, um, aside from Whistle Pig, that I've enjoyed every... Uh, example of yeah and there's a few that you're still to look at because they were so expensive (laughs) yeah there's a dust on a bottle up there for sure but hey about michter's us1 rye the nose it's warm it's inviting kind of like your grandma's house in the holidays we should have like a little (laughs) special background music i love that immediate nose is a bit of lavender roasted corn and grain after a nice long draw from the bottle fruit notes follow 
cinnamon, plum, uh, a few other things. I don't know. It's, it's a little fruity after that little first long note. And of course, a touch of maple sugar follows with a little bit of old leather and a little bit of barrel char. It's, it does smell very delicious. I love, it's one of the whiskeys I like sniffing the cork, which I know you're not really supposed to do. That's a wine drinker's thing. And I'm not sommelier, but it does smell very, very nice. Um, on the palate, it's described as being dry, warm, not too spicy, more black pepper uh, than anything else. Uh, rye followed by uh, a rye toast with maybe molasses, uh, burnt sugar, so you get a little bit of that uh, warm char uh, taste to it, but a little sweetness. It's definitely a bit woody forward, uh, but it's not a bad thing. I mean, because these are finished in charred barrels, so you, you want some of that wood. That's what helps give it its depth and profile. Yeah. So just a couple of final thoughts on Michter's US-1 Rye Whiskey. This whiskey is from a brand as old as this country. It's older than this country. It survived all the, the machinations, it right? Has. It says, basically, uh, just a phenomenal example of what good whiskey can taste like without breaking the bank. Try other expressions from these guys, even from the U.S. one line, like the American whiskey or the bourbon. Both are within the price range we set for Whiskey of the Month, and they're excellent expressions themselves of what a good, affordable whiskey can be. Yeah, these are outstanding in, in mixed drinks, like an Old Fashioned or a Manhattan or a Whiskey Sour. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, of course, they're cheap enough to be a daily drinker for those who are predisposed to doing so. <coughs> Me. <laughs> Hands up in the air. That's right. Guilty as charged. All right, guys. I think that's it for us. I got a fucking pack for PCAP. I think our next episode is going to be a live episode from Palm Springs. Hot damn. What the fuck? It's going to be fun. <laughs> be and great. hey, we got a whole new board, so hopefully uh, that one will let us record on the road without making a mess out of the audio like our last episode. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a good time. But hey, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, guys. Well, since Mallory told you guys how to find us during the last segment, we're going to leave that off at the end here and just say we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Live from PCAP. This has been a blast. Mallory, you want to say bye to everybody? Bye, everybody. I'm going to go get my freak on. Hot diggity damn. You've been listening to Casual Swinger. Casual Swinger.